Hey, everyone. It's Vanessa, and I'm here to talk to you about Noom. Noom is a personalized weight loss plan. It's not just one size fits all. It takes into account your dietary restrictions, your medical issues, and any other personal needs. It's like a psychology plan. Just it meets you where you are. And it also recognizes that losing weight is really a mental process. It starts with your motivation and with your brain. Noom's approach is also grounded in science. They've published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles that describe their methods and effectiveness. So stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. You can sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes. It's available to buy now wherever books are sold. Campsite Media. There's nothing we do that's bad, and I think cult implies bad. And there's nothing that we do that is bad. This is Infamous, a production of Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment. I'm Vanessa Gregoriatis. So last week, you heard from India, and she had a lot of very revealing things to say about the way Nexium operated when I was talking to them. We decided to add this episode to talk a bit more about Claire Bronfman and the way her fortune affected Nexium. So you'll be hearing from me and from my producer, Shoshi Shmolovitz. Hey, Shoshi. Hi. It's weird to be on this side of the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Shoshi is generally helping write all these episodes and make them sound as good as they have been. But this week, we're going to talk about Claire, and Shoshi has a bit of a connection with Claire. Sort of roundabout connection. Claire's late father, Edgar Bronfman, the billionaire, was a huge philanthropist in the Jewish community. And basically, Edgar Bronfman paid for my trip to Israel when I was 18 years old. Oh, my God. Was that like a, a find your roots trip? Yeah. So there's this thing called birthright, which sends American Jews to Israel, free two-week trips to Israel mm-hmm. when they're like in college. Um, and it's a lot of pro-Israel propaganda, which um, you don't necessarily have to listen to because you're hungover all the time because they also take you out drinking right. and encourage you to sleep with other Jews. <laughs> That's the trip. I think they're still doing it, actually. I don't know if the Bronfmans are still funding it. But I just want to say that Edgar Bronfman was not just, you know, money bags in the Jewish community. He also was the president of the World's Jewish Congress. What's that? The idea of it is basically it's like the diplomatic arm of world Jewry. What Edgar Bronfman did was um, he was president of the World Jewish Congress in like the 80s, I think. At the time, it was really, really bad to be a Jew in the Soviet Union. And lots of Jews desperately wanted to leave. Edgar Bronfman was basically doing diplomacy with Soviet leaders. So he did a lot of important stuff. Yeah, he's a significant figure. He's not just a philanthropist. Yeah, he really did big things. Mm I mean, in the case of the Bronfmans, I had been aware of Seagrams, obviously, like everybody. But I didn't realize that they had this history as 
bootleggers, that they were basically, what, Russian immigrants who came to Canada and then got mixed up with the distillery business during Prohibition. Essentially, what you have with the Bronfmans is this sort of clawing upward, right, where they build this massive empire where Crown Royal and all sorts of seltzers are the birthright of Claire and Sarah Bronfman, even though Claire and Sarah are not really the favorite children of Edgar Bronfman. They were the children of his third wife, who was a Brit nicknamed George. My mom comes from a very... I would say upper, lower class family in in England. Didn't really have much. And so I grew up with my mom and my dad was like the knight in shining armor. It's a difficult relationship and it's one that's really at the heart, I believe, and the motivation for Claire to get so deeply involved in Nexium. I mean, he was everything to me. Did you see a lot of him when you were young? No, no, no. Just short visits? Very, very seldom. Would you go to dinner with him, or would you go on vacation? He took us, it was funny, you know, Mm -hmm. my dad took us to uh, Domino's Pizza. Domino's? No, it was Pizza Hut. I'm sorry, it was Pizza Hut. Took us to Pizza Hut twice. This was me and my sister. But most of the time, I mean, you know, we would go with him on trips that he would go on for Mm -hmm. business. And then I didn't see him very much, and then there was a point where I moved to America and I still didn't see him very much. I spent my life wanting to be like my father. You know, I wanted to be successful like my father. I wanted to be, you know, everything that my dad was. You spent all this time with Claire Bronfman. What was her personality like? I think that, like a lot of the women in Nexium, I felt that she was very childlike. She's extremely slight. You know, the definition of mousy, right? Glasses not very clear eyes behind the glasses. I remember her wearing, like, white trousers that on anybody else would be tight but were very, very loose, totally understated. And super thin. Super thin. And speaking in almost a whisper most of the time, again, maybe that was a put-on, right? Like, maybe it was about um, she was trying to come off as incredibly kind and gracious to me so that I would think twice about her having, you know, a cruel streak. One of the things that cults tend to do is try to hollow out the identities of their members and, you know, kind of replace all of that with cult stuff. Who was Claire before she joined Nexium? Claire was, she had been born in New York City, but she grew up on the English countryside, and she just got super into animals. From a very young age, it was just something that I loved. I loved horses. More than anything, I loved horses, Mm -hmm. and I loved the connection with them. And uh, So I would spend a lot of time with them. I just was, spent more time in the stables than in the house. Mm -hmm. It was easier. Those things that were going on in the house that were difficult. She, you know, would jump on the pony bareback in the field and she would sort of gallop around and and became a vegetarian, I think, at age nine. Like, she didn't want to eat dead animals. And then she became a, a competitive show jumper. She did that as a teenager. That's what her life was about. And she took it so far, she ended up qualifying for the Olympic trials. Do you still ride? Um, 
you know, it was an interesting thing. I went through the Olympic trials in 2004 and I faced a question that was very hard for me. I had a, a new horse. He was difficult. And when I would become nervous about something, he would literally just stop. Mm-hmm. And my trainer at the time said to me, you have to take a stick and you have to beat the shit out of him. You have to do it once. And if you do it strong enough and hard enough once, you'll never have to do it again and you'll be okay. And I couldn't. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Yeah, so yeah. I said, you know, there's got to be another way. And he said, I don't, I don't know another way. And I said, well, if it, if it means, you know, winning the Olympics or mm-hmm. this is the end of my career, I can't, I can't, I can't in good conscience be on the Olympic team knowing I beat the shit out of one of my horses. It's just right. not something right. I can do. Right. What's really just astonishing about this person is, you know, here's somebody who loves animals. She's vegetarian since she's nine years old. She won't continue in professional show jumping because she doesn't want to hurt the horses. Right. And then she joins this cult, which is literally torturing women. Claire Bronfman's story is one of coercive control as a way of life. When I met Claire, she made a joke to me about how she hated people and that that's why she was in equestrian. And looking back, I think, you know, when someone tells you they're a misanthrope, believe them. Claire is a strange person. She's a strange bird. She obviously took pleasure in attacking people. But did she just get so turned around in her head that she believed that anything that she did against these people was justified because it was all for the greater good of Keith and and proselytizing Keith's word? You know, that seems likely as well. The early 2000s was a breeding ground for bad reality competition series. From shows like Kid Nation, CBS's weird Lord of the Flies style social experiment that took 40 kids to live by themselves in a ghost town. To The Swan, where women spent months undergoing a physical transformation and then were made to compete in a beauty pageant. On each episode of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop, Comedians join host Misha Brown to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? Recently, The Big Flop looked at The Swan, a competition show between women who were hoping to transform their physical appearance. The problem? The women were isolated for weeks, berated, operated on, and then were ranked by a panel of judges. It all led to trauma for the contestants and terrible reviews. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus. Hey, it's Payne, and I'm here to tell you that we're back with a brand new season of Up and Vanished, called Up and Vanished in the Midnight Sun. In this newest season of Up and Vanished, I'm investigating an unsolved missing persons case in Nome, Alaska, on the edge of the Arctic Circle, Florence Okpialik, an Alaska native, 
was last seen on August 31st, 2020. And I've spent the last year in Alaska trying to find out what happened to her, putting myself in the most dangerous positions I've ever been in. You don't want to miss this brand new season of Up and Vanished. It is by far the most intense investigation I've ever been a part of. From Tenderfoot TV, Up and Vanished in the Midnight Sun is available right now. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Infamous from Campside Media. So Claire quits show jumping eventually. And then how does she get into Nexium? So Claire's sister Sarah had been a little lost, and a friend of hers just recommended Nexium as like a self-help group. Like any, you know, like check out this yoga center, check out this Vipassana retreat, check out, you know, at that time it was called ESP. And so Sarah went and then brought Claire in. And Claire felt like this was also what she had been missing, that this was a place that was going to help her define herself, achieve great things, you know, become the apple of her father's eye and do something good and moral in the world and contribute. You know, she was sort of confused about how to deal with her money. Like she would go on all these show jumping trips and felt weird that she was the one that had all the money and she would try to pretend that she didn't. You know, and show jumping is filled with poppers. Show, show, show jumping, <laughs> the the sport of poppers. And you know, Keith had sort of sold her on this idea that money itself is not good or bad. It's what you do with the money that matters. So she should stop feeling this guilt over having this money and being on a different level than other people. She should instead get a plane that she could fly everybody in Nexium around on. And she should contribute her money to Nexium because that would be a good thing she could do with her money. So one of the things I asked Keith from the very beginning, I said, I, I want help becoming responsible. Mm. I want to be responsible with my money and I want to be responsible as a leader because mm. I am a Bronfman. <laughs> right. And I do have money and I do care about that. It's right. important to me. I think it's just important to realize that, like, Keith had basically taken the place of Edgar in Claire's mind. Like, he became her father. Basically, she was, I think, very much under his thrall. At one point, she tried to bring her dad into Nexium. How did that pan out? She and her sister told her dad that this was this amazing find, and they would just love him to take a class. And, you know, the story goes that he was into it, and he liked it, and he thought it was interesting. And then Claire let slip to her dad that she'd given Keith $2 million. The story is that Edgar was angry that money had entered the picture like that. Maybe Keith and Nancy were after the Bronfman fortune and that this made him very angry. I, I did. I mean, I, I loaned uh, Nexium some money and my father thought that I wasn't getting a good deal mm-hmm. and it pissed him off. I mean, how often does that happen in a normal family where somebody misunderstands something, they get mad? I just have a very potent father. And then a Forbes reporter wrote a story about Keith being a very strange executive coach, right? Because that was the idea at the time with Nexium was like, okay, we're, we're doing executive coaching. This is for high-level individuals who just want to, you know, supercharge. And the quote was, I think it's a cult. 
you know, there's always been controversy around me and my father. Mm-hmm. That's been a big talk of the town. Um, you know, my dad and I had controversy. Mm-hmm. We did. And that was, you know, when he called Nexium a cult. It was a difficult time. And did you talk to him about it? or? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting because I actually, you know, my father had a tantrum. This was seen within Nexium as a horrible breach. It was particularly assigned to Claire that it was her breach that she had allowed her father to do this. And, you know, from there, I mean, things just went completely haywire. This is Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. I'm Steve Taylor, your host to a horror anthology podcast where we ask you to depart from your safe perception of reality to descend with us into the frightening depths and dark corners of twisted imaginations. With carefully curated original tales of terror each week, our deepest rooted fears are brought to the forefront by a diverse cast of voice talent and masterfully eerie sound design that bring these stories to life. We'll give you tales of unnerving encounters with the occult, harrowing hauntings, and sinister seances that show just how darkness knows no bounds. Make sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Is Meghan Markle like Princess Diana? Or is she just a social climber? I was silent. Were you silent or were you silenced? Is she a breath of fresh air or a master manipulator? That's what we're going to find out on my podcast, Infamous. Apparently, ambition is a terrible, terrible thing. We'll look at what happened when two dysfunctional families came together. It's the family that I suppose she's never had. And how Meghan and Harry going Hollywood all went down. Only on the podcast, Infamous. This is Infamous from Campside Media. Keith had this perception that Claire had breached her trust with him by allowing Edgar Bronfman to give this quote, I think it's a cult, to the Forbes reporter. Keith and Nancy Salzman started realizing that they'd lost Edgar as an ally, and Edgar was not going to be a door to all of these other wealthy individuals that they were going to bring into Nexium. Keith was getting more and more obsessed with Edgar and wanting to know what Edgar was doing. So Claire and Daniela, who is a young woman whose parents brought her into Nexium. Daniela was good with computers, and so Daniela and Claire and Keith tried to hack into Edgar's computer. It's pretty interesting. So basically, Keith gets Daniela to do this phishing email, and then Claire sends the phishing email disguised as this cute bear because Edgar called her Claire Bear. That's right. So she sends him the picture of the bear, and he's supposed to click on it, but he doesn't click on it. Right. So she actually goes to his office, opens the email that she sent him on his computer, and she goes, oh, I really want you to see this picture of a bear that I sent you. And she just, like, goes and clicks on it, and and it's done. Then they log all of his keystrokes and get his password for his 
AOL email address. And then Daniela, for years after that, is giving Keith regular updates on Edgar Bronfman's email contents. Right. She fancied herself one of the leaders of Nexium, though people that I talked to made it very clear to me that she was really just carrying out Keith's orders. And she sort of positioned herself or he told her to do, we don't, I, I personally don't know, um, as sort of the person who would head up the legal issues for Nexium. And the legal issues were mostly related to defectors, people who had left, who needed to be silenced, right, needed to be taken care of, or journalists who were writing negative articles. They relentlessly brought legal campaigns against them. And she was very proud of this. I mean, I did ask her a lot about those cases and how she felt about it and if she regretted it looking back. And, you know, her line was absolutely not, you know, I had to protect the people who are in Nexium. You know, we have very uh, uh, important people here and it is my job to make sure that they have privacy. We have A-list actresses who have taken our programs. We have royalty that's taken our programs. We have ex-presidential families that have taken mm -hmm. our programs. Plus the regular Tom, Dick, and Harry, you know, like we respect people's privacy and that's important to us. And believe me, if we didn't, there's a lot that we could have done. I mean, understand, mm -hmm. we know so much about all of our adversaries. We have so much of Right. So much shit that we could go to town with, and we won't do that. It's all part of the mission to do good in the world. And Sarah Edmondson, who, you know, is on The Vow, who's been a very, very vocal and persuasive defector, you know, at the time that I was talking to Claire, was one of her, like, uh, sort of objects of, of ire. And she felt that part of the reason why Nexium had fallen apart and these indictments were coming was due to Sarah overreacting about getting a brand. Overreacting. Overreacting. And, you know, she she had hired a private investigator to look at Sarah. She had flown to Vancouver to talk to the police to try to get Sarah in trouble because Sarah had some connection to getting a list of Nexium members and trying to warn people about what was happening. So Sarah was actually coming from a place of trying to trying to help. Right. Claire had convinced herself that this was, you know, an unwarranted, unjustified attack and, you know, just a bunch of sort of girls being silly. For example, you know, there's a video of, of Sarah Edmondson's branding mm -hmm. and, you know, it's such a lie. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's such a lie. What's, what's a lie? Well, during the, during, she watched two people mm -hmm. be branded, so there's no surprise. Right, right. Um, and she was enjoying the whole thing. I mean, there's, mm -hmm. you know, she she was very much involved in it. She, she, it wasn't that grimacing for her. She was, I haven't watched it, um, but I've heard numerous accounts from people who have watched it. What she's saying now is such a bunch of lies. I know that they know that they're lying about certain things. An audio tape of Sarah Edmondson saying that she was happy that she had the brand. I know she's lying. I know these people lie. That's part of the thing that kills me. She told me she hadn't seen um, Sarah's branding video, but that lawyers who had seen the branding video were outraged by it because Sarah seemed like she was consenting 
to mm. the brand, which is, you know, we would later find out there's really no consent when this many gaslighting tricks had been played on you, right? Mm-hmm. Claire was not in DOS. She no. was not in the sorority. What did she say about it then? She said basically what you know they had all decided to tell me, which is this was a women's only sorority. They had agreed to keep it secret in order to help a woman who had been having some mental issues and was almost suicidal. So her friends wanted to help her, and they created this secret women's society, which was about telling her that other people were there for her and enslaving her because that would help her not feel depressed and alone, which is a number of mental gymnastics that's like really hard to calculate the number of backflips that they just did there. But And at um, the same time, if you're like in that mindset all the time, if you're so deep in the cults, Right. That seems you're used, right, it's logical. You're, yeah, you're used to irrational things being explained to you as completely rational. Up is down. Right. So at the time that you met Claire, this was really like the last gasps of Nexium. What was her experience of the end of Nexium like? I mean, right after you talked to her, suddenly everyone around her is getting arrested. Well, I think she was completely freaked out. And, you know, her idea was just like, throw money at this, throw money at this, right? And more experts and we'll get doctors in here to say these women are healthy and we'll just turn this around just the way we've always turned everything around. She probably thought she would never get indicted. You know, she had hired an attorney who was very close with the prosecution. So she was very aware of what the charges were that they were looking into the likelihood that this indictment was coming. She'd been told all this stuff by lawyers who were getting inside information. But I believe that till the end, she really thought that it wasn't going to happen. Because the charges against her, you know, they weren't sex trafficking. I mean, they were visa violation, forced labor with some of the women that, you know, were being used as maids, basically, by Nexium truly horrible things that they did to these people. And she's thinking, I'm going to go to prison for a visa violation? Like, what? what is happening here? When Claire was arraigned, she was being held on a $100 million bail because she was a flight risk. She could just go to Teterboro. You know, you won't know where she is. She'll be gone before you know it. You know, Claire had purchased an island in Fiji where Nexium had talked about trying to create their own currency, to create their own, you know, country. Um, There was a sense of maybe, you know, they would go to a country where there was no extradition treaty. And the judge was so thoroughly revolted by her. And it was this really stunning scene. We're all in downtown Brooklyn, and this is quite a large courtroom. And he really, like, reamed her out. And he just felt that for somebody who had been given everything, who was born with a silver spoon, who had this father, who had done so much for the world, to turn around and be taken in 
by this total moron Keith Ranieri and then to have turned into a henchwoman for him and done all these horrible things to women who were lower on this weird status totem pole of Nexium than her was just a crime against humanity. And when she was sentenced, he went far over what the prosecutors had asked for. So the prosecutors had recommended 21 to 27 months, which is a hard prison sentence, but not that hard. It's like two years, right? And and the judge sentenced her to 81 months, almost seven years. So having spent so much time with her, what do you imagine she's thinking now? Do you imagine she is still devoted to Keith or has somehow managed to pull herself out of that while she's been Mm -hmm. in prison? Well, I think... As of a year or two ago, it's, you know, was reported that it's likely she's still paying Keith's attorney bills. I have no knowledge of anybody receiving a letter saying she no longer believes in Keith. So as far as we know, she does still believe in Keith and um, probably is still doing the practices of penance and, you know, all the self-starvation and all the stuff that they did in Nexium. I believe in this, in this technology. I believe in what it can do in terms of changing people's lives. Next week on Infamous, Gabriel Sherman takes us into a story filled with private jets, dinners with dictators, and the guy who may have carried Bill Clinton's lip balm. Need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. <laughs>